Welcome to Teacher Talk with Chrissy Nichols, the podcast that offers real tools and real conversations to help you feel good about teaching and yourself again. As a teacher who has spent more than two decades in the classroom, I get it. I know you have a lot to do, so if you need help right now, book a free consult call at www.thechrissyconcept.com. That's the C-H-R-I-S-S-Y-C-O-N-C-E-P-T dot com. Now, let's get to the show. Hello, and welcome back to Teacher Talk with Chrissy Nichols. I am your host, and this is episode 12, Reflective Masculinity in Teaching with Ryan Hoagland. Ryan Hoagland has been an educator since the 90s and currently serves as the Director for Ethical Education at Roland Hall in Salt Lake City, Utah. He has also served as an assistant principal. He's taught political science, ethics, and world religions. And since his passion is getting his students to be curious, think about all sorts of different points of view, he has served for many years as a debate coach. Ryan earned his BS in political science and his master's in education, and he is the recipient of too many awards to list here. I'm so excited for this conversation, which spotlights May for Men in Education, Men in May, as Ryan and I talk about his career navigating spaces that have been typically filled with women and the concept of how education can be gendered. Here, Ryan also describes what it felt like when his grandfather asked him if he was done doing, quote, women's work and how it's so important for him to model reflective masculinity for his students that can be gentle, vulnerable, and centered. I'm so excited for you to hear this very interesting conversation that I had with Ryan Hoagland. Enjoy. Ryan Hoagland, thank you so much for coming to the podcast and welcome. I'm so thrilled to have you here for this incredible conversation today. As you know, I love to spotlight an amazing teacher and you are an amazing educator, debate guru, and example to kids. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do and where you're teaching and a little bit about how you came to teaching? Well, thanks, Chrissy. I love that you're spotlighting educators. We don't always get asked to, <laughs> to talk about what we do and what we love. And so I, I love this. I'm currently the director of ethical education at Roland Hall in Salt Lake. I started my career here in 1999 as a debate coach and political science teacher. But I, before that, I began kind of as an educator at debate camps, I had a really formative teacher in my life, Dennis Edmonds, who recently retired out of the Canyon School District, who really just was a mentor in my life. And I worked at debate camps that he ran. Is that just like a camp in the summer? What is debate camp? Yeah, debate camp is a, a chance for uh, kind of nerds to get together <laughs> and <laughs> research a topic and uh, prepare for the debate season. I'm a self-described nerd, so 
Thank you, all educators. Nerd is a compliment in, in my world, for sure. And so it sounds like debate was formative for you, but I know you have also a background in banking. You tried your hand at that. What happened there? <laughs> yeah. After undergrad, um, I thought, oh, I want to be an investment banker, right? Moved to Boston with some friends, and but quickly realized that I could do the work and the money was nice, but I, I really was starved for the meaning that I found in debate camp, the rich educational environments that they they brought, and realized that if I did this for much longer, it was going to be a quick path to spirit murder, and I just just didn't need that. About the same time, my mom got sick cancer. And so I moved back to Salt Lake and took care of her until she passed and started at Roland Hall thinking it was just going to be a hiatus on the way to law school, but really fell in love with what education could be. It was given the freedom to design my curriculum, to, to work with my students and kind of saw the potential that schools like the power of working communities to communities. As a political science teacher, I was always like, okay, how does the quality of life in a country get improved. And yeah, it's not governmental solutions. Like I really convinced, convinced that education and community, community relationships are really what we need. I love that. And tell everyone a little bit more. Roland Hall, as you mentioned, it's premier independent school in Salt Lake City. But what exactly do you do in ethics? Tell everyone a little bit about your role there. Because I know it's definitely been a progression with your time at Roland Hall. And of course, in public school, we don't always have with districts all over the US, the latitude to have an emphasis on social justice or ethics. So tell us a little bit more about what you do. As the um, director of ethical education, I work preschool to high school and braid in what does student leadership, community engagement, social emotional learning, sustainability, inclusion, equity work. What does that look like at kindergarten? What does that look like in fourth grade, sixth grade and above? And just trying to be really intentional throughout the organization in educating the whole child. Our kind of moniker is developing people the world needs. And as we know, we need highly educated folks who can problem solve, work collaboratively, but also are emotionally intelligent, can maintain their relationships and keep them healthy, can stand up for what they believe in in a community and, and also have a skill set to, to make some impact in the world. So yeah, I feel incredibly lucky. I, I love my time as an assistant principal, right? 10 years in that role, but really felt like I was responding to things after they happened. So I love to be in this seat um, and really feel like I'm on the preventative edge, kind of thinking big picture with the students. Yeah. Yeah. I love my job. Love my job. That's fantastic. And I want to ask you, as you said, you take on like many of us in the classroom and you are also in the classroom. You're everywhere. Having had a chance to see you in action, you wear so many hats. But when you think back about those teaching moments, and you're still teaching all the time, what do you love about teaching, Ryan? That, that's such a great question. I, I think what I love is the rigor of thought, right? I, I think something that debate really taught me was the importance of kind of methods and research and being data-driven. And to see that skill set come out in people and students and the power it gives them in the world, I think is a really inspirational thing. I also, the curiosity, I think is just magical. Like when 
two ideas that are independent and suddenly kind of come together and you see learning kind of happen in young people, right? It might be a kindergartner out planting in the garden and it's like, oh no, no, this flower kind of faces up, right? <laughs> like it's, we don't put roots um, facing up and it might be something as simple as that, but having them kind of see like, oh, I can plant my space. I can maintain my space to see something like a garden club kind of rise in the lower school and some kids really to find joy being outside and cultivating the land. And then even to see like a, a senior who a number of years ago developed a community garden and would sell produce for that to juice company farmers markets and used it to fund the first year of their um, college experience. So yeah, it's just amazing to see literally how those, those small moments become really big moments, I think. I love what you just said there about the rigor of thought and the rigors of teaching, as you know, are also very varied. And you and I have had really great conversations about what it's like to be a man in education, a man in sometimes these female-dominated spaces. What do you think are the biggest challenges facing not only men in education and in teaching today, but just teachers in general? I love talking about how education gets gendered sometimes. I think caretaking is a frequently gendered and, and that's unfortunate. I'm the oldest of nine, so I've, I've been a caretaker my whole life. And so I think teaching kind of became a natural progression there, but a little bit of a stereotype buster, right? I think when you think the role of a man is to be provider, protector, right? Some folks why don't you sell cars, right? You'd make more money for your family and that kind of stuff. Go back to investment banking, go to law school, you know, do a real job, not this women's work. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My grandfather literally said once to me, like, hey, why do you do women's work, right? And and, and that was a, it, it was a, a reminder moment, but also I think it was a challenging moment, right? For me in terms of yeah, I want to be a role model to my students of what masculinity can look like, that it can be gentle, that it can be, it can center relationships, it can be vulnerable, and that there's strengths in that, right? And that. And your students, our students need to see men all over. They need to see women and men and see themselves, right? Both oh, for yeah. young women and young men in our classrooms. That's why I think you're such a beautiful example. Just as revolutionary as like for my grandmother's generation to see women in the workplace, right? Something that was unimaginable for her. I think we're equally at a, a defining moment. Like, are, are we going to develop some reflective masculinities that can be vulnerable and be, can engage in dialogue, not fighting, right? I, I think when I look around at some of the biggest problems that we're tackling, if we continue to fight versus kind of talk around the solutions, I, I think we're in some real trouble. And so, yeah, I love being a man in education. I, I frequently am in spaces where I, I am the only guy and I really enjoy that. I, I, I enjoy my female colleagues. I love seeing women in leadership. I think one of the, the things that I can do with my male privilege is open up spaces and open up conversation. And I can sometimes say things about pay equity that my female counterparts might get some blowback, right? So I really take that role seriously. And, and also the gifts it gives me as a, as a father and as a, as a partner in my relationships. 
we need a more expansive masculinity. I think male educators are great examples of that. Well, and you hit on something so important here that even in your work in debate and seeing two sides of every story, seeing you know, a different point of view and being able to speak about that rationally and not in a loud voice. I think you just nailed it. But lastly, I just want to ask you, wave a magic wand, the land of unicorns and rainbows, if you could do anything or if you could make any kind of change or see any kind of change in education that would support educators, make teaching just a little bit easier? What do you think that might be? I think one of the, that's a great question. I, I think one of the things that I'm seeing kind of post-COVID is something that's a little bit different than burnout, right? Being in a stress cycle for a couple of years, I think we're all feeling a little bit of burnout, but that's right. I'm also seeing a demoralization, right? I think educators across the country are a little bit on their heels about Wow, do people trust us as professionals, right? Are there this kind of the, as the culture wars kind of creep in and, and things that are simple like, hey, this is the way we take care of each other, or here's some windows and mirror moments into different experiences. The the pushback I think is really hard. And I, I really see some teachers like becoming demoralized, unfortunately leaving the profession. So waving my magic wand and throwing some glitter. I think mini sabbaticals, right? I think we could develop like month-long kind of opportunities um, where teachers could go see other schools in action, cultivate a passion, write some curriculum. I think it's hard sometimes to do sabbatical programs for an entire school year, but yeah, can we create mini kind of sabbaticals? I think would be a great thing. I think also opportunities to talk about the craft, right? I, yes. Just like this. Yeah, yeah, right. Opportunity. And, and I love that this podcast opens that space and invites people to, to talk about, right? Is that I think that helps people see educators as professionals, as, as care, caretakers, and more than just, I think, as my grandfather saw it as, oh, you're taking care of kids, right? It's like, yeah, I'm taking care of kids, but we're also taking care of the future. And I, I think that trust is really important. Yeah, everyone went to school. Everyone has an opinion about how it should be done, but it it is a craft and, and we should be talking. And when you do it the way that you do it, Ryan, as I've seen you in action, it is truly an art form. It's a craft, it's artisanal. And thank you so much for being on the forefront and doing the good work. And as you said, using some of the privilege to feel the discomfort of being in these spaces. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and thank you for sharing a little bit of your journey and your story with us. Oh, thanks, Chrissy. I really enjoyed it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us in conversation with Ryan Hoagland. Stay tuned for the next episode of Teacher Talk with Chrissy Nichols. Have an amazing day. Thank you for listening to today's episode, teacher friends. If this podcast speaks to you, please share it. Share Teacher Talk with one teacher or administrator or educator in your life. To continue the conversation and have life-changing tools and resources sent directly to your inbox, join my weekly newsletter, Teacher Talk, at www.thechrissyconcept.com. That's the C-H-R-I-S-S-Y. C 
C-O-N-C-E-P-T.com. There, you can also book a consult with me. That's a one-on-one conversation to see if coaching might be just what you're looking for. Sometimes one call is all it takes. Have a great day in and out of the classroom, my friends. We'll see you next time.